In a joint op-ed penned by President Russell M. Nelson and leaders of the NAACP earlier this month, we read these words. Unitedly, we declare that the answers to racism, prejudice, discrimination, and hate will not come from government or law enforcement alone. Solutions will come as we open our hearts to those whose lives are different than our own, as we work to build bonds of genuine friendship, and as we see each other as the brother Brothers and sisters, we are, for we are all children of a loving God. It is our hope that over the course of the 84 episodes we have recorded, this podcast has become a place for you to find peace and comfort in your efforts to follow Jesus Christ. But what was described in this op-ed for many of us is the soul-stretching work of stepping outside of our comfort zones and having difficult conversations. It requires listening, seeking to understand a perspective that may be different than our own, and then looking inward to explore ways we can be better moving forward than we have been in the past. So today, regardless of your race, your background, or your position surrounding these issues, please join us in an important conversation as Abe Mills and Stephen Jones share their experiences as Black members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Stephen Jones is a native of Tallahassee, Florida. He is a comedian and actor who is perhaps best recognized for the iconic BYU Library parody of an Old Spice commercial, which has been viewed three and a half million times on YouTube. Today, Jones is also a seminary teacher, a husband, and a father. Abe Mills was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. He also gained recognition during his time at BYU, where, in addition to playing on the football team, he performed as a BYU Young Ambassador and hosted a teen news program called Center Street. He went on to be a member of Jericho Road, a singing group that performed Christian music. These days, you can join over half a million people in following Abe and his family on their YouTube channel, Sunshine Mafia. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so, so honored to have Abe Mills and Stephen Jones with me this evening. Um, We're recording this at night. I guess I should say that. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Morgan. I am just so, so grateful for you two and for your willingness to have the conversation that we're going to have on this episode. We have been trying at LDS Living and I am going to get emotional. (laughs) Like We've been trying so hard to figure out the best ways to provide members of the church with good resources and things that will help them better understand what is happening in the world right now and specifically how we can be better brothers and sisters, all of us together. So thank you both for being willing to do this. And as we start, I'm just going to dive right into this. I am curious about what you wish the wider membership of our church knew about your experience as an African-American Latter-day Saint. So I will let whoever would like to start, start us off. So what I wish people knew that were just, just a wider membership of the church is kind of best to describe it in a story. Um, but before I do, let me just make it clear. Like I consider myself to be black, but what's interesting is that if, you know, sometimes, you know, Caucasian members of the church, they'll just assume that I'm black and I'm fine with that. What's also true though, too, is a lot of times people who are black, they'll say, well, he's not black. He's, you know, he's mixed, which I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm just saying it's kind of put me kind of in this middle piece, right? Almost like this bridge. It's given me a, a, a unique lens. And so I, I want to tell that story. So when I was, uh, I was teaching when my first year and a student asked me, he said, he said, Brother Jones, when you die, like, and you're resurrected, are you going to be, are you going to be black? And he was curious. I, he wasn't just trying to be funny. He was just like, he kind of felt embarrassed to ask it. And I just sat there and I was just like, in my mind, I'm thinking like, 
I don't know. Does he think that I'm going to be white? Does he think like, what does he think? What is it that he's going, what's going through his mind? And then as I thought about it more, I came to this conclusion. I was like, you know what? When you hear about God coming down from heaven, and for, for example, with Joseph Smith, the way that Joseph Smith describes God is he says, I saw a light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. And he talks about the light being glorious and amazing and brighter than noonday. And I, and I thought about this and I was like, you know what? When I'm resurrected, I'm going to be light. And I don't mean that to say that, that culturally, obviously, there's cultural elements to who I am. But I feel like we all, like the broader um, understanding from the church, I wish that people would truly take to heart what it really means to truly be a child of God. And I think that sometimes our experience that we, that we give to people is based on, you know, the, the mortal existence that we have. But in the reality and in the truth, we've existed for a long time. My identity originated with God. And I hope to, and when obviously we're going to continue that, that identity through the rest of eternity. And so if we were to treat each other that way, and I'm not saying that like, you know, you hear a lot of talk about black lives matter. No, no, no. All lives matter. That's not what I'm saying. That's not this type of conversation that I'm trying to bring up. I'm trying to bring up the idea that we must treat everyone with the lens of who our real, like our identity identity is children of God before anything else. Yeah. So to piggyback on that a little bit, the thing that I keep coming back to is people, people make it so confusing. It's, they make it so much more confusing than it really should be. When we think of Christ and when he was talking to the Pharisees and the question was, who is your neighbor? Because he said, what's the greatest commandment? You know, they, they were, they were like trying to get him and ensnare him. Like, what's the greatest commandment? And of course he said, the first one is to love God. And the second one is to love your neighbor. And then of course they wanted to get smart and say, well, who's your neighbor? And then he came back and told them a story about some, uh, uh, you know, a race of people that were completely different and that had not had good relations. And yet this person that was supposed to be the enemy was the one out of all the three who saved the person and, and gave uh, you know, sacrifice to help the person. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. So to me, it's as simple as coming down to, to, to love God and love your neighbor. And of course, we know a lot of this is the golden rule, which is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And when we really ask ourselves that question, you know, would I want someone to do this and treat me in this way if this were my background and this was the experience that I had? And if we ask those questions, it becomes so simple. You know, we don't have to ask a lot of the other questions because then it comes down to, well, what would you want someone to do to you? And then if people think of it like that, it's really that simple. And uh, unfortunately, we live in a world where that's not the first question. It's not the second question. <laughs> it's not the third question. You know what I mean? And so it becomes very confusing for people because they want to know, well, how should I treat you? What should I do? And it's like, Think about it. How would you want to be treated? What would you want to be called? What would you want people to say about you or think about you? And as we get into that, it it'll, it causes people to actually look inside and, and not think surf on a surface level, but to get super deep about like, oh, I've never really thought about how I would want to be treated in that way because you've never had, many of those people have never had to think about that because they've never been in a situation where that was an issue for them. And so that's what I hope that as a church that we can come across because I believe there's so many chances that we miss out on to to really show to show ourselves living in that way. Yeah, thank you both so much. I want to come back really quick before we move forward. I want to come back to something that Stephen touched on. And that is right now there's a lot of conversation around why why saying all lives matter can be hurtful and why it's, I think in the past there's been kind of this idea among some people that saying, well, I, I don't see color is okay. Why is it so important for us to recognize color and why, why are we saying right now black lives matter? We're, we're not saying that other lives don't matter. 
We're just saying that these lives, they matter to us enough to, to engage in these tough conversations. You made, when, right when you said that, it made me think of President Nelson and the last press release that they had most recently, him talking about, you know, linking arms, arm in arm. And one of the pieces, I don't have it memorized. I don't have it in front of my face. There's a piece in it where he says, where he invites us to listen to each other. And what I, I bring that up because I think that sometimes when people say that all lives matter, black lives matter, it's like, I don't even know if that's relevant. I mean, you can get caught up in so many conversations in that context. But the idea is there are people that I think sometimes people might think, well, I don't have an issue. And that could be true. But at the same time, there are people who are just hurting. There are people who are sad. There are people who are like, it's, this has been a roller coaster for a lot of people, regardless of whatever you believe about it politically, whatever it is. There are people who are, they are in pain. And so it happens to be that this particular, you know, it happens to be black people. It could change, whatever it is. But I'm saying like, we just need to listen. And that could, you could change that up for any conversation. We're talking, we're talking baptismal covenants, right? Just to this, everybody, if you're hurting, just wants somebody to listen to you, mm-hmm. you know? Mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort. You know, this is what we, we preach it. and. You know, when you have these these opportunities to do it, sometimes we get too caught up in, uh, I don't know, we get too caught up in talking about things like all lives matter versus black lives matter. You know, when when black people in general have felt like their lives don't matter for so many years, uh, people can understand if you start to think about it, why that would be offensive to someone to say all lives matter. Because if all lives did matter, then why are we still seeing these type of people dying in the way that they're dying and being killed in the way they're being killed and people still seeking justice? I mean, it's been going on my whole life and years before that. And so when you, like you said, when people listen and they really understand what people are saying, whenever they say something like Black Lives Matter, listen a little more deeply and mourn with those that mourn, comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And if they know that you stand by them, then that's, that's really what we're all about. That's what we want to, to be about. And I think, to be honest, I've been around a long time and this is, I've seen more people listening now than I've ever seen. And I think, you know, uh, while people are still frustrated and, and doing, and, you know, acting out on those frustrations, I, I, I think more people are listening now than, than I've ever been. I have four boys and say one kid gets like, gets hurt. Right. And he feels hurt. Let's say like somebody like verbally said something to him and it, like, I might think that's not a big deal. Come on, come on. And then I go to my son and I listen to him and then my other son are like, well, dad, don't you care? Of course I care about you, son. You know, of course I care about all my kids, but right now this particular child, he, he didn't, he, he, he's hurt, you know? So I'm going to, I'm going to listen to him. I don't know that's, if that makes any sense. No, it's yeah. a great, that's a great analogy and something that everybody can relate to. Like sometimes somebody needs a little bit extra love. I will tell you guys one reason that I really wanted to do this is because I have a couple of black friends that I really love and appreciate And I called last week and had some conversations with them that were so helpful to me. And I, I like walked away feeling so grateful that they were willing to have that conversation and share things with me. But then I was talking to someone else that same evening and she said, I want to listen. I just don't know anybody to listen to. And so my hope is that this podcast will give people someone to listen to and and not just anyone, but someone who shares their faith in Jesus Christ. And so another question that I have for you both is, are there any experiences with racism in the church that you feel comfortable sharing? It's interesting. We talk about racism in the church because... I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to think of which, <laughs> of what to share, you know what I mean? Because um, there, there's a lot of examples. 
And, you know, we, we went about doing this, my wife and I, you know, our family, we have a YouTube channel and we went on there and kind of shared some experiences because I do believe that a lot of times when you have situations like this, it's easy for people that haven't experienced it personally or haven't seen other people experience it personally can kind of cast it off. Like, you know, these are people that are having sour, you know, they're just sour about it and they're complaining. And so when you have somebody like me that they know, and it's like, he seems pretty normal. (laughs) And yet I can come out and say, Hey, this is some stuff that has happened to me. I think it's good to have those, those without being, without sharing too much negativity or like really meaning to drag people down, but to be able to share these experiences because I think it's important for people to know that this happens on a regular basis. I will say that just to kind of talk about dating for a minute, right? In the church, right? We, if you asked somebody that was a member of the church, like, Hey, you know, what's important about who your daughter marries, they would list the whole list of, of things they want to find in a husband. And they usually wouldn't say something like, and I want, you know, my daughter's husband to be white, but I've dated lots of people where when it got to that point where it looked like it might be serious enough to lead to marriage, where that became a huge issue for people. And I will say that when we did this in our blog, I never said anything about the church because I just didn't want to kind of give that negative vibe that everybody in the church is like that. Because it's certainly not the only time that I've had issues with dating people, whether I've had lots of issues with this, because when it comes down to someone's daughter, someone's family, that's when I believe that it's easier for the fears that people have and the ignorance that people have. I think it's easier for that ignorance to come out and those fears to come out. And so that's one of the biggest things where I've dated people and I had full on had people call me and say, my dad won't let me date you anymore. He's the Institute director of whatever university, but he won't let me date you anymore. And you know, I, I don't know how many times I've been sent quotes by general authorities so many times on books that were written before the revelation. Yeah. I've been given those quotes so many times, like, listen, and when you come out and tell people, you know, Jeffrey R. Holland came out and said that there wasn't a reason that they can point to for this, people will go, well, that can't be true. Like, where does it say that at? And you have to show them, but I want you to take that and use it how you will. But <laughs> I feel like some of this stuff, I don't want to drag the church through the mud because I think it's in some ways no, it is. It, no, but I think ahead. Abe, you touch on a very important point. And I think that is <clears throat> that just because something was said in the past and it has been disavowed, doesn't mean that people don't sometimes bring that up. Yeah. And, and you can say like, Hey, read the gospel topics essay, listen to what elder Holland's saying, listen to what elder Ballard has said. It doesn't matter there. Some, sometimes it seems like people are not recognizing that that is doctrine and that's the most current doctrine that we have. Right. Yep. And so th- those are my, my experiences have been a lot with dating. Um, just people straight up just saying, you cannot date him anymore. You cannot, you know, just and people in, you know, a lot of, a lot of girls will follow their parents in that way. And I don't blame them, but you know, I had to get used to kind of asking myself, what is the real reason behind all these people? And so it took me living in Utah. It took me a couple of years to get used to it just because it's such a different place. When you move anywhere in the nation and it's new and there's a different uh, culture, it takes a while to get used to it. But it took me a while just because I felt like, like once I figured out that it wasn't about, it wasn't about them. Like I was trying to kind of putting everything that I was angry about that people were doing. And I was like going, these people, blah, 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 blah. And then once I realized that it was more about me and I kind of took that into myself and my responsibility to be a person that lived the, the words that I was telling you before, do unto others that you would have them do unto you. Once I realized that that was my opportunity to teach people. And I started realizing, like you said, you have a friend that doesn't know and have anybody to call that's black. And so I realized that's probably the part of the problem. You know, it's like people would adopt kids and they would ask me, well, what can I do to, to show my black kids that, you know, and to, to show them some a good 
you know, like black person. I was like, well, how many black friends do you have? And people will be like, oh, uh, I, I, uh, and I'm like, okay, well, first of all, you might want to have a black friend that comes to your house and kids look at that. You know, you might be saying black people are great. Black people are great. Like, man, we don't have any black people around our house, but I feel like when you have these opportunities to interact with people is when fears and ignorances go away. And so when you have that opportunity, take that time. And I would say most of my um, racist experiences in the church have been because of that type of ignorance. Steven, I know you have some, something to add to that because I'm sure you've had plenty of experiences. So I like to think about it like this. I had a, I had a, a church leader and this is, this, this, so let me give you a perspective coming from Florida, moving to Utah. And I right. think that we got to be clear that we're talking culture. A lot of times we're, we're, we have these issues about church, but right. we're, really, we're talking about culture. And I think that's important to, to, to draw that line. Also, we need to remember that we live in a fallen world. You know, we live in a world where, you know, the natural man is an enemy to God. And I'm not trying to make that really extreme. I'm just saying that I've noticed the most issues. Like when I was in Florida, like Florida was pretty, I'm in the panhandle. Okay. So like I dated, I had a girl that I was really, in, uh, I, I was 16. We like thought we were in love, you know, and her dad wasn't a member. And her, you know, I'd call and there'd be, you know, you can just, just imagine what's the worst things that could be. Said, right. Okay. That really happened. That to happened. Me, okay. So going through my life, like this was back before you had a cell phone and you had to say, you know, you would call somebody and say, Hey, my please speak with so-and-so. And you have to be like, you have to wait. And then I'd be like, man, her dad's going to pick up. Cause her mom was cool, but her dad was like, Oh, yeah. I'm like, if her dad picks up, he's like, are you on the phone? And so that's where I come from. So like my dad, for example, people didn't, when he got baptized, when he was in the seventies, he was married to my mom. She was white. This was not a popular thing. No. All. This kind of shows you the type of, like my dad doesn't care what anybody thinks about anything. And so my dad, I mean, he would fight people. Like, I mean, my dad was mean. He's four, five, six, 160 pounds. He bench pressed 475. <laughs> didn't care what anybody thought. He's like, I'm a, shoot, I like white girls. I, I'm a dater. I'm a, he, didn't, he didn't care. And people went home, teach with him. But my dad never left the church. He won't. He can't. Like he, he's, he's just so yeah. founded in Christ. But what's interesting is when I came to Utah, I think the discrepancy is where we get the friction from is the expectation because we automatically say, okay, member of the church equals perfect. Member of the right. church equals no fear. Member of the church equals they've never done anything negative. And I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying after I've thought about this for myself, these are some of the, these are some of the thoughts that have come to help me really see what's happening because mm-hmm. the behavior is what's on the surface, but there's always something underneath. And a lot of times that's usually something that people don't understand or they don't believe. And a lot of it that I've found personally has been just fear. They don't know. And maybe there's these, these, these prejudices, which I think sometimes we call it racism. And sometimes it's prejudice. It's just being, they're just, they're just, it's fast and efficient to say, I've seen a person like this before. So they're like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we need to be careful of with anything is to take something and see it to see your neighbor as yourself, you know? And that's a dangerous word, as yourself, like yourself. But we're fallen, and sometimes we, we see other people with fear, if that makes any sense. Totally makes sense. It, and, and this is what reminds me. So when I was in Utah, what I would do is I would go to church, and people would, I would, like, catch people just staring, like, just staring. And I was like, man, why are these people staring at me so much? And so after a while, I realized they were staring at me because they were like probably thinking in their mind, like, dude, I wonder what that guy's like. Or, I mean, I don't know what questions they were asking themselves, but ultimately what I figured out was it was, it was the statement from Mary, oh, Oprah used it and um, Nelson Mandela used it. What's the, what's the lady name? Mary. Anyway, it was all about if you Mother are Teresa. liberated. Say that again. Mother Teresa. No, this is from, uh, I can't remember her name, but we can go back and get it later. But she said, basically, we are children of God, right? 
And we children of God, you can't. And the gist of it is that you can't like hide yourself. You were meant to shine. But the thing is, is that the part of the quote that I love the most is that it says, if, when you are liberated from your own fears, you, your very presence will liberate others. And so what I, what I got from that was, okay, if I go in here and I'm quiet and I sit back and I look, and I'm not saying, you know, like I, all people aren't like me, right? So I can't expect that everyone else, but I think if everybody kind of takes this onto themselves, I think we'll find enough middle ground for this all to work out. But what I started doing was if somebody looked, was staring at me or I walk into a room of people staring at me, I would walk up to the person that was staring the hardest and be like, my name is Abe. How you doing? Nice to meet you. Oh yeah. What? Tell me a little about this. You know, I'm from so-and-so or whatever. And then pretty soon, like people were like, oh, you need to meet brother so-and-so. And then all of a sudden now, like we go into wards now and people think that we know people, they'll, they'll come in there and they'll be like, hey, you, uh, you know, brother so-and-so. And I'm like, man, you've been in this ward for eight years. You don't know this dude? I moved here last month. You know, and, and I realized that people start thinking like, oh, this guy must know everybody. But really, all I was doing was just being liberated from my own fear. Once I was liberated from my own fear, then other people felt liberated. It's, it's crazy how it happens, but try it. It works. And once I realized that in Utah, then I didn't have as many, I didn't have nearly as many problems with what I was looking at people staring at me for what reason are they staring at me and whatever, because then I would just be like, Hey, what's going on, man? And then people would go, Oh yeah. Hi, this is different. This is a different experience because you know, people don't normally act that way, but that that's something that I, that I found and I kind of took it upon myself and it changed my life to be honest, because like I said, it took me a couple of years just to get used to the different culture. And that's what we, that's what we do in the church as we separate, we want to separate culture from, from what we know as doctrine and in the way the church operates. So I think those are such good points. And I, I think it's important. One thing that I was thinking about, so I'm so glad that you brought up the fact that racism can manifest itself in different ways, dependent on where you live. I grew up in North Carolina and I've lived in Utah for the last 10 ish years. And so I've seen like two very different kinds of racism. And I was talking to this friend of mine last week and she also grew up on the East Coast but has lived in Utah. And she was like, yeah, two very different things, both equally hurtful. And so I think Mm -hmm. it's important to examine ourselves. I know for me and I, I have done a lot of like reflecting. I grew up, in a community that was actually majority black and I played basketball growing up. And so I was often on teams where I was the only or one of a few white people. And I've realized that over the last couple of weeks, I'm like, I was really good friends with those girls and they were really good friends to me, super consistent, super good, very little drama. And yet I didn't think of them as my best friends. And I lost out on that. That's on me. And so I think that it's so important for us to each like look inward and say, okay, where have maybe, maybe I have always been kind. I've always tried to be kind to people of color, but maybe I can do better in some way. And maybe that's inviting them into my home for dinner or to hang out or to have them just to have people around, like you said. And I think that that is so important. Another thing that you touched on that I think is very valuable is this idea that everyone, regardless of whether we're talking color or religion or where you're from, we're all our own individual people. And so it's unfair to lump everyone of a certain color together. It's unfair. Even in this conversation, I think people will see that here are two black men who have had completely different experiences. And it's the same thing. Like when people say like, oh, I bet people, I got a text the other day from a dear friend that said, hey, you're from North Carolina. Do you know a good rub for barbecue meat? And I don't really, I don't really eat meat. 
And so hey, listen, anyway, it's I'm like black and I know how good the barbecue is, but I can't tell you how to make it. <laughs> wait, but wait, the rub, it, the barbecues are different in different areas of the South too. Like the texture is different than it's different. And in North Carolina, yeah. we eat the vinegar based barbecue. So that's a completely different yeah. ball game. So let me be clear. Exactly. I like barbecue, but I don't eat a ton of it. All I'm saying is I don't think that we can lump everybody together into one category. So I'm so glad that kind of you guys touched on that as well. What do you think? So one of the things that one of my friends brought up is she said she actually read a quote to me that was in a, an op-ed in the Deseret News, and it talked about being part of the body of Christ. And that one thing that she said in her experience, there's kind of this idea that in order to be a faithful member of the church and be a black person, you kind of have to check your pain at the door Mm -hmm. and leave your feelings like, don't bring it into Sunday school. Don't talk about these things. Has that been your experience? And what, if that has been, what can we do to better encourage conversation rather than making people feel that way? This happens in a lot of different ways from people that I know personally. And even, even if I bring something up, because for me, it's just interesting from my lens too, because like I said, like I, I grew up with the Caucasian woman in my home. Like I understand white culture very well. Like very, very well. I understand black culture very, very well. But then if I even bring it up, people are like, oh, but we don't care about that. And so when that happens again and again and again and again, and it, could, it doesn't have to be that exact conversation, it kind of gets stifled over and over and over and over again. And so then it kind of just, I don't want to say that it, it could potentially build up for some people, but it's almost like we're so scared to talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. Because, and I'll give you an example. Maybe that'd be easier. I remember I was saying something because I'm a, I'm a comedian too. And so I have a lot of jokes that are racially based, but a lot of times people don't realize like, this is just really what happens. I'm not just trying to make up a random joke. And so <laughs> these punchlines are really, sometimes in some cases they're really pain, but not, yeah. I mean, it's not like maybe subconsciously to me, you know, of these experiences that I bring up. But the interesting thing is it's funny because it's true. It's funny because it happens. And so that was kind of a way for me to like express my voice in a, in a way that wasn't just a punch in the face, you know? And if you notice, there's a lot of funny black people. And I think it's because of the idea that and there's a lot of funny black comedians and I'm, there's a lot of funny comedians, period. But I've noticed that like, let me, give you an, uh, let me give you another specific example, more detailed. I had somebody make a comment once before that said, man, all your jokes are about like black stuff and da 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 Like even, even with the jokes, all your, all your jokes are like undertones of like racial humor. You only do racial humor. And I'm like, that's because if I bring it up, just straight up, everybody gets quiet. Or if I bring it up straight up, people get scared. If I bring it up straight up, then people like, they just want to just back away slowly or it invokes pain. And so I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just, I just think that like, it's just something to consider. Like, why is it that it's stifled in the first place and why can't we talk about it? I don't know the answer to that. I can only guess. And I don't think that it's fair for me, from my perspective to say, well, why don't, why do, why does that happen? I don't know. So it make any sense. It makes complete sense. And I'll, I'll add on to it because first of all, I think there's a, there's two different types of people. I think there's people that want to teach the lesson every time somebody messes it up. <laughs> and I, and I'm okay with that because my wife is like that. If you say something and, mm-hmm. and a lot of times I'll just go, go ahead, honey, because she will set you straight. You say something racist, she will set you straight. Um, and I think there's also uh, people like me who are more like kind of selective with when I say things because I want to try to get them the greatest impact possible. Right. Um, and she gets great impact as well with the way that she does it. But I think we need, we need all different types of people who are willing to bring it up whenever, wherever, and people who are looking for those moments. And, um, yeah. And, and, and the thing about it is like, so for instance, just to give you an example, I had a neighbor in Utah and her comment was, Oh, we spent a lot of time in, in the, um, Brooklyn in New York. 
And I was like, oh, tell me a little about it. You know, she's like, oh my gosh. It was so scary at first because I got there and I was the only white person. And so the first thing I said to her, I saw this opportunity. I said, you know what? I totally know what you feel like because that's the way I felt when I moved into this neighborhood. <laughs> and, she, and she looked at me like, what? Mm. And then she was like, oh, oh yeah. Wow, that, that really sounded, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't realize how that sounded. And I was like, so I took my opportunity at that point in time to say that. Um, now, sometimes I'll let that kind of stuff pass if the moment isn't there, if it's in a different setting, because I want to make sure that she's actually getting what I'm saying. And so I've had that, those conversations and those opportunities come up several times and taking those opportunities. But that's the type of thing that people will say. And it's like, all right, do we really do we say something? I do think it's necessary. I don't think it's meant for us to put our pain on the altar and say, okay, God, I'm not going to say nothing in here because I think it's going to mess up the church meeting if I say something. No, I think that we need voices. And whether it's, the same, it's a voice that's saying it the way that I would say it, or whether it's a voice saying it the way that my wife would say it, or whether it's a voice saying it the way that Tamu Smith would say it, or Zandra Rains or Stephen would say it. We need people to, to raise their voices. And um, the way that my father puts it is like this. You need me to get to heaven. You need me to get to the celestial kingdom because we all know that if you have feelings between people, you can't enter the, into the celestial kingdom. You know, you heard these words before <laughs> there is a specific feeling that needs to exist in these situations. Mm -hmm. And listen, my father's like, Hey, I know that I'll be there. So if you have a problem with me, right. I'm helping you to solve that problem before you get to that point because there will not be riots in the celestial kingdom. There will not be wars in the celestial kingdom. All of this stuff will be done away with. And right now is the time to do away with it. So if you find in your heart that there's something going on where, you know, you talk about the body of Christ. No, we are one and we are one family. Um, and if we're going to, if we see ourselves in the place where we all say that we want to be, then we can't have problems with the person that's sitting across from us. And so we need each other to get there in the right way. Yeah. I mean, to me, sometimes these kind of conversations, they, I just like, I like to talk about the root of the issue, you know, because on the surface, you're going to go in a circle, a circle again and again and again and again and again, you know, and it's just, I'm trying to get back to the, the well, I don't want to say get back to the question. I'm just trying to make sure that, that, uh, that I understood what you meant. Because I feel like there's a difference between in church and you can talk about church doctrine or you can just talk about like just your experience as just a different person, period, you mm -hmm. know, or you can talk about your experience like in a relationship. You know, it's like mm -hmm. when I bring up race in general, um, a lot of times people that I see and I'm looking at this from a lot of angles, like if people seem to be upset it's probably not because of what just happened. It's because there's been a pattern over time of not feeling like you could speak up. But you see this in a lot of areas as well. Like, I think culturally in the church, and it's not this way around the whole world, right? But maybe in more in the United States where, um, and that's changed a lot where you can't speak up about stuff. And if you do, people are like, well, don't ask questions. I think they were past that. I personally mm -hmm. think President Nelson, all of the prophets and apostles, we can go and make all these, say all these things. But all I hear is listen to people, uh, speak up, ask questions. So let me just give you some background. I've done, um, and, and if this is a tangent, forgive me. I, I've done a lot of, you know, I've done research in different areas on things like anti-Mormon doctrine to help students understand, just to understand what they're coming up against. And I've never had conversations about I've had a lot, of, a lot of conversations about the details, but I have yet to have a conversation where it's like, wait, this piece says this about God. He said it here. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't believe that this teaches that Jesus is like this or like that. Like that's the stuff that I feel like is the foundational things that are really at the root of all of these conversations and truly understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just knowing it, but living according to the gospel that would allow us 
to not get offended. That would allow us to not offend. That would allow us to, but again, we live in a fallen world and we got to be, we got to be mindful that other people are going to make mistakes. Other people are going to say things that hurt us. I'm going to say things that hurt people too. And I'm not trying to water this down. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it's, it's important to, to realize that, that the atonement of Jesus Christ is real. Like that is Jesus Christ real. That's the harder question. than I think is, is, uh, to answer than some of these, uh, some of these other conversations. Yeah. And I do believe that if it were, we talk about, you know, when we, in the gospel, we believe that it's not easy. Right. And I think that it, these are challenges that people have. And I think God's allowing these challenges for people in order to have us turn to him and be more dependent upon him. And so when we get to these issues, we're looking in lots of places, sometimes maybe the wrong places, but I think we look to him first. And then, like I said, all other things will be added to us. And that's in every aspect. Let me ask you both this. One thing that is interesting about both of you is that at different times you have been kind of a public face for the church or for, in Stephen's case, BYU. Um, And you were too, right? Abe, were you a young ambassador? Did I read that? Yeah, I was a young ambassador at BYU. I was on a TV show called uh, Center Street. I love doing that show. I love working on that show. It was an amazing show. And, uh, but I got a chance to do that. So let me ask you this, based on those experiences between all of the different things that you both have done, did you ever get tired of being like the face of diversity? And how did you get to a point of feeling like your testimony was strong enough to be a public face? Because I would imagine that there are probably some like wrestles that come along with like, do I want to be that person? And I don't think everybody has to be, but how did, how did all of that work for you? We've both been the token black guy, I think, when you agree. <laughs> you know what? I've never had anybody ask that question before. That's a really good question. So, yeah, let me, let me jump on it. There's a couple different things that I will say, okay? I actually, the first time that I had an opportunity to be a young ambassador, I turned it down. And it was because I felt like they were doing a show and that they, I felt like I was getting it because I was black. I was getting into it because I was black and that just kind of turned me off to be honest. And this is nothing against young ambassadors or the director of young ambassadors. Yeah, no. I think that if anything, you know, looking back on that, they were trying to get more diversity and they were trying to go, how do we appeal to a wider audience? Because we were going to go to Africa. Um, and I think that they just knew that just knew like we need to have, more diversity and we need to make this about, and to be honest with you, I just got mad. I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it because I got this part because I'm black. And that was really just the way I felt about it at the time. I, I changed my mind and ended up going into it and I was so grateful. It was a blessing to me, but yeah, I think there are times when, when I first went to BYU, it was like anytime somebody was having a discussion or a panel about blacks in the priesthood, they would like say, Hey, We'd be on this panel. We're going to talk about blacks in the priesthood. We want to find out what you think about it. You know, I was like, <laughs> okay. So I just got like over and over and over and over again. It got like to the point where I was like, all right, I already know what I'm going to say. So I didn't have to prepare for it anymore. I was just like, okay, I, I can do this in my sleep now. So yeah, it gets tiring. But at the same time, like I said, I, I feel like in a way it's an opportunity and I can, you know, look at it as a missed opportunity or you know, if I want things to change, I can't sit back in my corner and just hope that they do and point fingers at people. If I want things to change or I want people to be informed, then I myself have to take that on myself to be the one that informs them, the one that does what I can and uses my talents in whatever way I can. And God gives us all different talents in different ways. And so as we see different people around that may be in the same shoes as us, like Stephen, 
I look at Steven and I'm not looking at Steven saying, well, Steven didn't handle that like I would, or like Alex Boyer and saying, well, Alex didn't handle that like I would, or looking at Tamu and saying, well, she's not handling that out like I would. I look at them and I look at their different talents and say, man, I'm glad that we have different to people with different types of talents that are able to go out there and, and, uh, and be kind of a face because I do believe that people need to understand that the gospel is a dive. It's, it's diverse. I think sometimes people, we get into a cookie cutter mode of, oh, this is what it means. And this is what it looks like. And this is what it smells like. And people, that's not, that's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. It looks like this. And it looks like you. And it looks like you, Stephen. And it looks like several of my friends that I know that are from other countries. And when you look at God's family, it's, it's very diverse. And so I think anything that I can do to help put it in people's minds that that's not, you know, to, to, to move them closer to the concept of the diversity of God's family, then I'm all for it. But yeah, it can be tiring because it requires, sometimes it requires being on all the time. And that's, uh, uh, that's not easy to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I, uh, I like you at first when it would happen, here's the thing that I think would happen a lot. Let me give you a couple of examples. I'm walking in the, I'm walking in the Smithfield house at BYU. I got a little luggage thing and I literally have the gentleman come up to me and says, he like pauses and he's like, track, track. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. But if I'm thinking about myself, if I'm thinking about me and how they perceive me, then it's easy for me to go down this road of like, dang, I'm tired of it. But I had a blessing one time. This is kind of a little bit more personal. And I feel like it's appropriate to share where when somebody's hands were on my head, you know, they were speaking and it said that your race is a calling. And I never thought about it like that. And when I, when I, you know, what I meant is, when I, as I've thought about that, there are definitely people where like the church is multi, multi, it's international, you know, in, in, in places like Africa, the majority of the congregation is, is African. Okay. Mm-hmm. South Africa has more of a, of a, of, uh, of diversity there. And I don't, I don't claim to know everything about the details. I'm just saying that this is a church that is preparing for the coming of Christ. And for me, if I can be a voice, if I can be a perspective, if I can be an image that can represent what the real church really is, you know, as I've thought about this more, I I'm, I'm okay with that. But if people on the other hand are like, Hey, you know, every time when I was a kid, I would get a call from the missionaries and they assumed they were every time they were teaching somebody black, they would always call me up. They would never call me up for anybody else, but only when they were black people, that's the difference. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, totally. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <clears throat> like, uh, we all should get to know everyone. And like mm-hmm. president Nelson said, to serve people of other differences and to hear them, not just black people, all people. I feel like that makes a really healthy environment because that's, that's what it's going to be like in the millennium, you know, and if we can break those barriers down to really represent what the true image is, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think part of that question too, is that have you ever felt hesitant to do that because the church isn't perfect and because of, of any of the weaknesses that you've seen in church members. And I just got to say, what it does for me is I think we're asking the wrong question. If we're looking at like, well, how can you, cause I always have people like, Oh wow. What was Utah? I guess gotta be a racist, blah, blah, blah. Or, Oh, how can you be a member of that church? Cause blah, 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 blah. You know, they're racist and this and that. And I say, you're asking the wrong question. The question is how can I be, isn't how can I be a member of this church is the question is how can people like your father, Stephen and my father and Darius Gray and Elijah Abel, how could they join the church before black people could hold the priesthood and yet their conviction was so strong and their conviction and conversion was so personal with God that they could not deny it and can't leave the church. They can't leave it because of, even though people will be racist in the church, they weren't, they were not converted to the people. They were converted to the gospel. And once they became converted to the gospel, it didn't matter. Uh, I won't say it didn't matter what people did, but for them, they were going to withstand 
what people were doing and saying because they knew what God had in store for them. And so I give a shout out to those men who are po- real pioneers. Elijah Abel was an actual pioneer that went across the, the plains. But your father, my father, Darius Gray, who was the leader of Genesis, um, the original leader of Genesis group, uh, th- those are some real pioneers there. Um, and I just kept giving a shout out to them because they taught me. That's the question that you should be asking. How is it that those men mm. stayed faithful in the church with all of those things going on around them? And why would they do that if it wasn't true? That's the question that you should be asking. And so when I ask myself the question in that way, I go, wow, mm. I take my hat off to those guys because, you know, you see what's going on now today and you say, well, that can't shake my faith. Not if, not, if, if what was going on then couldn't shake their faith, then that can't shake my faith. What's going on now? You can't, you can't tell my dad that the church isn't true. You can't. Right. You can't. Right. No, regardless of what he's seen and experienced and it just, yeah. that's the way it was my father as well. I just want to say something really quick um, before we move on to the next question. And that is, I went, when they did the B1 celebration, I was in the conference center and they started talking about some of these people, Jane Manning James, Elijah Abel, and the people stood up. There was like a standing ovation. And I just remember thinking like that standing ovation was so overdue so Mm -hmm. overdue. But I also think that like, I know that that was you, Abe, trying to say like, if I, if, if my dad could, could handle this, then I have no room to talk. But I actually do think that you do have room to talk. And I think that we should also give hats off to our black brothers and sisters and recognize that in order to be a faithful member of the church, we all grapple with different things, but to be a black member of the church, you have to, to look at the history and come to a point of believing regardless, you know? And so I just want to say like hats off to you and you may like want to cast that aside, but I just, I think that if we all recognize that a little bit more, that, then, then that would create a space for people to feel like they understand that this might be a hard thing. Let's talk about it. They want to listen to my experience. Let's talk about it. So anyway. I just want to know, I, I, was, uh, I was able to play Elijah Abel in a movie that's not out yet. And it changed my, like, it, it really gave me a completely different lens just doing research and thinking about his character, like people went through some hard things. Mm-hmm. And I think that the thing that comes to my mind is uh, there are stories. There are so many stories that have never been told. Like, you know, the popular ones, right? But this, the name of this movie is called Green Flake. So Green Flake was a slave. Mm-hmm. We, there's not that much information about him. But there's countless stories like that of trailblazers that came across the plains who were black, who, who were slaves in some instances that I feel like it was really interesting to, to learn all of that, but they're still available. And it's like, I think that maybe perhaps we can tell more of those stories because they are a part of our history. And I think that it was yeah. scared to bring them up because some of the pain from it, but these people's voices, their voices have not been heard at all. Park Lay is one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I played Elijah Abel <laughs> and I, and I am Jane, which was, and that, that was the first time I'd heard of Jane Manning James and man, how grateful are we that her story has been told and Elijah Abel being a part of that story. And, um, Anthony Stebbins, who was also with her. And like you said, green flake, Hark Lay, you start, you start looking at these stories of pioneers who came across the plains. And in, in Jane, like, you know, Jane and James, I'm sorry, I didn't bring her up earlier, but she stayed faithful to the church until she passed away in Salt Lake city and is buried there. Yeah. I I'm with you on that. And I, and I hope, you know, I'm sorry that it may sound like I was casting away. Like I, if my father can do it, I can, I just feel like, you know, what a, what an example yeah. of, of true faith. And, um, but I do think that, like you said, I think that 
yeah, there is room for us to speak up. And I think that, you know, it's, it's when the, trying to remember the, the scripture, how it is when you teach and the person that's receiving can both be edified because they're, you remember that? Yeah. You know? Edified together. My man. Yeah. So edified <laughs> together, you can be edified yeah. together. Right. And so I feel like when we speak, uh, we have to take an opportunity uh, to, to listen and both be edified. Uh, if we, if we take it as a scolding, if we take it as a, as members of the church, um, you know, there's opportunities for us to speak up and there's also opportunities for people to listen. And those who are on a listening in, depending on what we're talking about at any given time, have that ability to both be edified and to look at it in that way. And I hope that that's, 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 that's the route that we take, um, when we're dealing with these issues. And I think that we need to be, what I think going back to your, your comment, Morgan, was the idea of like, because we can start to speak up more to allow these people who have done so much that standing ovation, like to let their voices be heard and let their story be told, not just in one conference, but, right. but, but, you know, but even more. Yeah. There are ways to, to connect with them. But anyway, I think, I think that's an interesting point that you brought up. Um, Abe, don't worry. I knew what you were saying. I just didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't want, I didn't want us not to touch on that because I do think that it's important. I just have two more questions before we're done. The first one is, can you tell me what the gospel of Jesus Christ has meant for you or means for you right now in your life? I can say that the understanding and, and peace that I get, like even in the troubled times that we're in right now, I can say that there's a sense of peace and a sense of understanding that I have that I wouldn't have if I were not, if I didn't understand the gospel, if I were not a member of the church and and understood the way that God works and the way that, that Christ works and how he wants us to be. If I had less of an understanding of that, then I think these, these troubled times would definitely cause me more, more anxiety, uh, more trouble. I would be more troubled. And I, and so at times like this, I'm so grateful for the understanding that I have of God's plan and the understanding that I have of how Christ wants us to treat each other. And, and I'm, I'm grateful because to be married and my family, uh, my wife is, we, she's been a true pillar to me in terms of the gospel. And I'm grateful to have someone who is as um, strong in the gospel and has a desire to live the gospel as, as I do. And so we've been able to lift each other up and been able to really offer each other understanding from the different perspectives that we have. And I believe that that's made us both better people. Yeah, when I was um, when I was twelve years old, I had a youth a, a youth leader invite me to read the Book of Mormon, and it changed my life. Uh, my dad, my parents were divorced when I was six. My dad was a, always a part of my life, and and I I forgive him. Like when I was fourteen to about eighteen, I didn't even know where he was. I don't hold that against him. But the Book of Mormon was what saved me. This book, every page is about Jesus Christ. And when he gave me that challenge, he said, just read one verse a day. One verse went to two, two to three, started reading every day. And this book is about Christ. And it teaches me who he is. And just having that go through my mind on a daily basis, I feel like that's literally what has given me the perspective that I, that I have now. I mean, it's just a little bit at a time. And one of the things that I read recently, that's literally that like, it hit me and I was just like, it was crazy. It was Mosiah chapter three, verse 11. It says, for behold, and also his blood atoneth for the sins of those who have fallen by transgress by the transgression of Adam, who have died, not knowing the will of God concerning them or who have ignorantly sinned. And 
I had a teacher that was teaching this lesson and, and uh, he brought up the idea that God died for those people who, who uh, the, uh, the conditions that are not our fault, if that makes sense. And I think that that's important. It's, it's just changed my view of who he is. The gospel is about him. It's about what he did. It's about how he can redeem all of us. Like everybody has challenges. Everybody struggles. And every single issue that I can see that's going on right now in this world is, is addressed in this book. It is like every single issue. And I feel like it's what's saving me right now from, and giving me peace right now. And any, throw it, whatever you want. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but this, this book changes my whole perspective because it's a hundred percent about him and what he can do for all of us to bring us back into the presence of God. And, and understanding Jesus Christ, I believe for me, and, and, it's, and this is really what you were saying, is that understanding what he did for us, it gives us hope, which we live in a world for, for a lot of people that have no hope or they've lost their hope, whether it's hope and equality, hope and fairness, hope and whatever. They've lost their hope, but the gospel has taught us hope because we know what Jesus Christ did for us. It has taught us understanding because we know that Christ was the example of understanding. And on top of that, it has taught us forgiveness or how to forgive in a time where forgiveness is needed greatly. Well, and so I appreciate you saying that, Steve. And I, well, because I have people say this. I get this question a lot. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I've thought about that a lot. It's like one of the biggest, it's like one of the questions I get so often. And I wanted to make an image of Christ with Christ on the cross, with his hands pierced and bleeding. And, and have the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. And if there's anybody who knows and understands that, it's him. And that's why he knows how to help us when we struggle through the things that were not even our fault that we received at someone else's hand or the things that we've done. And so he really, we can't forget that. Yeah. Thank you both. Uh, the last question that I have for you is the, the question that we ask at the end of every episode of this podcast. And that is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I can hit it first. To be all to be all in the gospel, I think it just it just I can't help but think about baptism. And one day I had this I had this thought. It reminded me of of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat from every pore, like he was completely covered in his blood for us. And so to be all in the gospel to me is sacrifice. It is consecration. It's it's like giving of yourself, giving everything you got, everything. It's 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 doing what he did that he set the tone, he set the example for us to give everything as best we can so that his sacrifice isn't, isn't, isn't for not. Thank you, Stephen. Awesome. To me being all in, you know, I talk to my kids about, we have discussions all the time and, you know, we do, we have, like I've talked about our YouTube channel and we, we share the gospel on our YouTube channel. And we don't share the gospel by going on and saying, hey, we're members of this church and, you know, kind of laying it out there like that. We just live. And we talk about praying when it be, when it's something that uh, we talk about prayer. We talk about struggles. We talk about the scriptures. We talk about faith. Because it's what's in our lives. And so I think that, you know. I had an experience a long time ago that, you know, when we talked about when, when I heard something, somebody was saying something about sacrifice and consecration. And I thought to myself, what does God keep putting into my heart? And what God has been putting to my heart and the way that he's allowed for all these things to happen has led me to this point. Uh, believe me, there are times when I just wish that my life wasn't all over YouTube, but at the same time, I feel like there are people that are being reached that wouldn't be reached otherwise. 
I don't know what God is doing half the time, but I trust that he's doing it. And when you say all in, I think it means stepping forward into the darkness. Sometimes without being able to see what's on the other side of that and just doing it because God has led us, has led us to this point. And so we continue to step and maybe he shows us just a little bit more and we continue to step. And I believe that being all in means that we step towards where our heart is being led by the Lord. And as we do those things, we throw ourselves into it and we love. And I think when you think about the gospel, it's all about love. And the more that we can have the love that Christ had, I just, I can't help but believe that the world would be just so much of a better place, whether it's love within your family, whether it's love with those who you work with, loves and love in your community, community, love with people that you have never met before, love with different races, love with people of a different, of a different religion, love of uh, different nations and nationalities. And I think that as we throw ourselves all in and say, you know what? You know, it's like people say, you, you know, they family, got to love them. It's like, that's really how the world is. And so we figure out it's not an easy task. And a lot of times it requires a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting. But I believe that, you know, when we throw ourselves all into it, then we're committed to that journey. Even if after mile five, we see a mountain, <laughs> we were really not expecting it. Um, and that's really what it's meant for, for me and my family. Thank you both so, so, so much. I really, I've learned so much from our conversation and you've given me things to think about moving forward. And I hope this won't be the end of this conversation for all that listen, for me included, and that we'll continue these conversations in our homes and in our communities because I think, and in our wards, because I think that they matter. So thank you both from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Morgan. And thanks, Stephen. We are so grateful to Stephen Jones and Abe Mills for joining us on today's episode. Be sure to check out our show notes at ldsliving.com slash all in for links to watch more from both Abe and Stephen. Thank you to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his help with this episode. And thanks to each of you for listening. We'll be with you again next week.